Sometimes studying the Bible can feel overwhelming and confusing. Grounded in Truth with Janet Dennison will help you learn to study, understand, and apply God's Word to your daily life. His Word is true. And guess what? It's for everyone. So thanks for joining us today as we dive into Scripture together. Today we're looking at Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 24. It's lesson 18 and I titled it, God's Greater Plan. Paul begins chapter 11 by addressing the problems Israel had that had always hindered their relationship with God. They'd relied on their nationality. They'd relied on uh, the promise they were a chosen people and that they had privilege more than they relied on their need to be faithful. Many had historically opposed their spiritual leaders. They opposed people like Elijah, King David, and most every prophet. And as a people, they had tolerated and even embraced the sins of the neighboring communities from the people that didn't know the true God. And they'd worshiped the Baals and many of the other practices of false gods. They were a blessed and capable people, beloved by God, but they took God's grace and his patience for granted. They had a religion and they had a culture that was centered around God, but they did not submit their lives to walking with God. And therefore, God had allowed the consequences of those kind of choices, and they had over time become desensitized to God's presence and his sovereignty in their life. That is such a tendency for all of us today too. If you've been in church a long time, what areas in your relationship to God might have become hardened or desensitized to what God wants to do and to God's presence in his sanctification in that area? It's a valid question for all of us to ask ourselves as we look at this passage today. Paul used himself as an example for what it meant to be part of the remnant, part of the Jewish race that had been chosen and had stepped into a faith relationship with God's Messiah. He was therefore part of the remnant that was now justified. Paul teaches that God will never ever give up on Israel, but for a time, he says, for a time, the Gentiles would be the object of God's blessing and favor. And this is how Paul explains why. He's talking again about the Jewish nation, the Jewish people as a race, as a whole. He says, again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Remember that he had talked about Moses describing this very thing, that uh, they were envious of God's work. In this case, Paul is going to explain that they have stumbled and they have transgressed, but not beyond hope. No one is ever beyond God's salvation. But he's now going to turn to explaining why is it that God didn't 
keep the old covenant agreement in place? Why did God bring about this new covenant plan for the salvation of all people? It's because the old covenant hadn't worked, that even though they were given all God's promises, God's blessings, God's riches, God's protection, even though they'd been given all that, they still transgressed. They still slipped away from the relationship with God they were supposed to have. Don't we all, even though we've been saved, don't we sometimes live as if we're not? And we even have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. It's difficult. It'll always be human nature versus God's nature. But God allowed this new covenant, God brought about his ultimate plan for the salvation of all mankind by calling the Gentiles into the fold, by calling them his children as well. And he wanted Israel to be envious. He wanted Israel to look at the Gentiles and notice they now had God's blessings. And again, I need to remind you that Romans 9 to 11 are one lesson, one thought. It's continuous teaching on this one subject. What is God's plan for the nation of Israel? Before I move to that, I want to remind you that Paul has already said, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. Remember, he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. That is probably the central theme of chapters 9, 10, and 11. Israel's envy of the Gentiles' blessings would hopefully humble Israel and cause them to recognize that God's favor had now moved to the Gentile people. In many ways, it's the Romans 8.28 of the new covenant that God promises to work all things together for the good. For who? Those who love him and those who are called to his purpose. God is still working for the good of Israel by allowing the Gentiles to be favored, to prosper, to have his full blessing. Paul says, but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm not going to lie to you. This is an impossible verse. I can only think about what it says. I can't fully know what it means. The word loss carries with it the idea of a defeat in battle, that there is a war and a group of people have just suffered a major defeat, many injuries. They've not lost the war, but they have lost a battle. In many ways, that's what Paul is saying here. Their transgression meant they lost a great deal. They lost a position of God's favor. They probably should have known this. They lost it when they were taken captive in Babylon. But by this time, they had regained a sense of being a chosen people. They hadn't learned what God had been trying to teach them all along throughout history as a nation, as a race. The Jewish people who chose to step into a new covenant relationship with Jesus as their Messiah would receive even greater riches 
than the riches they'd had experienced in the Old Covenant, how much more would their inclusion mean? How much more would they have by being included now? And yet many of them refused to acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. They were continuing to fight a war that they would lose. And so Paul now turns his thoughts to the Gentiles. And he says, I'm talking to you Gentiles in as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Let me emphasize, Paul says, that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Even Paul knew that not all of them would come to faith in Christ. Paul doesn't want the Gentiles to think he is teaching only for the sake of Israel. He's proud to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but he never ever stopped trying to reach his Jewish brothers and bring them God's message of salvation, the gospel message. Paul then writes in chapter 11, verses 15 and 16, for if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Remember, the first fruits were the first part of the harvest. It was also the first loaf of bread in a batch of bread. Those were considered the first fruits, and that was what a Jewish person brought to the temple as an offering. That was the best part to give to God, were the first fruits. Paul is saying that the first of the harvest, the first portion of the dough, if that is good, then the whole crop is good, and the whole mound of dough is good as well. Israel is being compared to those first fruits. They were rooted from the beginning in what was holy, what was right, what was God's law, the character of God. They were rooted in that from the beginning. But the next verses are important. Paul says, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to the other branches. Remember, he says, I'm talking to you Gentiles now. Just because some of the branches have been broken off from the original root, making room for you to be grafted in, do not think of yourselves, Gentiles, as superior to your Jewish brothers. The Gentiles are described here as the wild olive shoot that's being grafted onto the true vine, the true root, which is the nature of God, the family of God. And he said, if you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. He says to the Gentiles, in case you're feeling superior because you've been brought in and given superior blessings, God's favor now too, then understand that you've been grafted in to a group of people that have always walked with God, that remnant maybe. But those 
branches that are broken off, that represents the Jewish nation who refused their Messiah. And the wild shoot represents the Gentiles. Because he goes on to say next, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. This is a difficult passage, but consider, I think, by way of explanation, the parable of the sower. Jesus told this parable, talked about the person who scattered seed and it landed on different soils. Some of it fell on the dry ground and the birds quickly ate it and carried it off. Some of it fell on rocky ground and the roots were so shallow that it quickly burned off and died. Other seed fell among the thorns, but once it started to grow, it got entangled with those thorns and became mixed up with it. And finally, other seed fell on good soil. That's the seed that multiplied that produced more grain. Jesus is describing the people who truly hear, the people who I believe he would describe as those who are truly attached to the root. They're the ones who are able to draw from the word of God and remain healthy. They are the ones that move forward. They are the ones that carry the message forward, I think it's an accurate description of who Paul has said is the remnant now. And then he says, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. As a people, the only way we can remain part of the root is to be grafted in by Jesus. Those who are not grafted in by Jesus do not stay. They do not survive, and they die and are broken off. This would be the people who wanted to trust Jesus, but never fully did. The people in the church, maybe, who wanted to know the Lord, but never fully entered that faith relationship with him. Israel had been that as a people group. They had experienced amazing blessing from God. They had also experienced his sternness when he allowed them to be taken captive by Babylon, for example. When the droughts came, and they had to pray for rain. God's blessings are not contingent on his love, they're contingent on ours. God will bless everything he can, and everyone he can, in every way he can, but God will not bless what he cannot bless. God has always judged the righteousness or the people who are righteous by their faith, and that will always and forever continue to be his justice. Some people look at those verses and some denominations use this verse to, and in their theology believe that a Christian can lose their faith, can be broken off 
once they've been grafted in. In my theology, there's a lot of verses that promise salvation to those who place their faith in Jesus. I believe Paul's talking about those who never are fully grafted in, like the seed that fell among the rocky soil and never took root, or the seed that took root but then never did produce, never did grow to be a plant that could produce. I believe it's more in line with Jesus's parable in this passage. But I will say that there are people much smarter than me that would disagree and say that, yes, people can lose their saving faith. So I hand you that tension here. Uh, it's not what I believe, but there are those who do believe that this is what Paul means by this passage. I feel like I need to teach the tension. So the difficulty of this passage are found in the words, he will not spare you either. Remember, Paul's speaking to people groups, both Jew and Gentile. People who reject the Messiah, both Jew and Gentile, will be cut off. But people, both Jew and Gentile, who do not persist in unbelief, who do not continue to uh, refuse their Messiah, will be grafted in. That's my theology, and I believe that's what Paul intends from that passage. Then he goes on to say, after all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into the cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Paul's point, if the wild Gentiles could be grafted into the family of God, then surely his natural children, the Jews, could be grafted back into their own place as descendants of Abraham. Now, bring this to your own church and consider this. A lot of us raised our children to be Christians. We brought them to church. We wanted them to know what the Bible said. We taught them what the Bible said. We taught them how to pray. We taught them how to know the Lord. We taught them what it means to step into a salvation experience with the Lord. But consider the people you know who might have been raised in church but no longer attend. Are they still grafted in? Were they ever fully grafted in? I want to share with you a, pro a proverb. It's one of the most misunderstood proverbs in all of scripture. It's Proverbs 22.6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. The reason that is a misunderstood proverb is because people believe it as a promise. One of the reasons I love the study of God's word is because you learn things like this. Proverbs were statements of general wisdom. They were never promises. They're wisdom literature, not to be taken. Are there a lot of things in there that we could take as a promise? Yes. But study this proverb, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. You can know that that can't be a promise because it would negate that child's free will for it to be a promise. Paul is saying that even though the Jewish people had the promise, some of them trusted it as 
a promise for them regardless, even if their free wills didn't line up with what God wanted them to do. In our own families, it's easier for a person who's been raised in the church to come back into the church than it is for somebody to walk in the door that has never been before. It is essentially what that proverb means. So, Paul is saying, how much easier is it going to be for those Jewish people to be grafted in to this relationship with God, this God they already know and many loved? And so next week, we're going to finish chapter 11. And I want you to know how grateful I am to study these passages with you. It is about the study of God's Word. These are not easy verses. It's a difficult chapter, but what I've taught today is my best understanding of what Paul is trying to explain to the people in this early church in Rome and truthfully what he'd had to explain to every first century Christian church. And that is our goal is relationship with the Lord. We are never going to understand the Word of God perfectly. There are portions of it that are difficult, and very learned theologians interpret them very differently. So I've taught you what I believe today. It isn't the only thing that can be believed. I just try to look at scripture as much as possible from the bulk of it and try to judge the difficult passages by those that are easier. I like Mark Twain's quote. He said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand. I think that's a pretty good theology from Mark Twain. So what can we understand about chapter 11? We want to make sure that we and those we care about are fully grafted into the vine, rooted in the truth of God's word and rooted in a salvation experience with Jesus Christ as their Messiah. If God accepted the wild Gentiles as his children, everyone can know they are acceptable as well. It was unfathomable in the first century for them, the God's people, the Jewish people, to consider that God would ever find favor with a Gentile. And yet, he did. Who, in your mind, is past God's redemption? Rethink that. I sometimes watch the TV and think a lot of people are living much opposite of God's word, antagonistic to God's word, even opposed to God's word. I believe that's probably going to continue and increase in the days ahead. We're just in that season of church history. And so keep that in mind as you root your life in truth. Get your truth from the meat of God's word, not from other influences. And we'll continue this study and look at the rest of chapter 11 next time. Understand, this is high holy ground we're walking on right here. It's Paul's perfect parentheses. 
And I think it's truth all of us need today as well. I hope it'll be food for thought for you this week. See you next time. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening today. If you're anything like me, you know that life can sometimes get in the way of our best intentions to study God's Word consistently. So make sure you hit that follow button whenever you're listening to this podcast and you'll never miss an episode.